It is Marawa Sports Worldwide. Good evening, South Africa. Good evening, the world. It is Marawa Sports Worldwide. Welcome to the show. We are indeed still broadcasting from somewhere, somehow, and someplace. As we get down to what today has to offer, I can tell you, you are live at Metro FM 96.4 and also Radio 2000 97.2 to 100 FM. The WhatsApp voice note number is 0605842250. You might need that WhatsApp voice note number. Why? Because you might want to ask this gentleman a couple of questions. I'm trying to think when last we spoke to Jake White, I can't seem to remember. But the questions will always come flying in, given his level of success, given the stature that the man holds. As you know, that is a very, very driven person, somebody with a commanding style in one of the most challenging jobs in world rugby. I think he, he, he brought admiration, and we can't take that away. And also, throughout his reign as a Springbok coach, there was so much talkability about him. There were a whole lot of tricky subjects of racial quotas at the time, the meddling from above. Uh, that was also never too far from the eye. But nevertheless, though, Jake White molded a successful side over several, several years under his microscope. And beginning his tenure with the Tri-Nations victory. You remember that? The Tri-Nations victory in 2004. As the recriminations from the Springboks exit from the 2003 World Cup. But also the whole Kamstel drives still stung back then. I suppose they had already taken South Africa's under-21 side as well to the World Championship in 2002. He was also named as an IRB International Coach of the Year for the first time in 2004. It was actually an accolade that he would win again in 2007. And for obvious reasons, though, uh, why that would happen. Because there was nobody else who was more deserving of that accolade uh, when he guided the box uh, to World Cup glory. Now, you kind of fast forward to... 2020, returning to South African rugby after being named as a director of rugby at the Bulls. Here's my guest tonight. Hey, we're going to be sharing this platform because later on we'll have another guest that will be popping through. Also, a high-profile guest in our sporting institutions here in South Africa. Jake White, an absolute pleasure. Good evening. Welcome to Marawa Sports Worldwide. Thank you, Rob. That was really kind of you. I mean, a wonderful introduction. So, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. No, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's deserving, Jake. You know, we've been hunting you down for many years. I still hope one day we'll be able to sit down with you in studio, thrash out so many different aspects, and just tap into that brain of yours, which I've, I've always admired from a distance, given the results that you have, and the kind of respect as well that you do garner, not only in South Africa, but around the world. It's, it's, it's locked down now. Let me just start with that, because that is current. How is this affecting you? What are you doing to comply with this that everybody's going through in the world? Yeah, look, uh, let me say that I'd love to catch up with you one day and have a nice chat to you. I obviously haven't met you directly, Rob, but I know exactly who you are and, and what you stand for. So, yeah, that'll be. I look forward to that. In terms of lockdown, I mean, it's uh, look, it's the same as all South Africans. We just, you know, the, the, the little catchphrase is stay at home and save lives. And I think that's exactly what it is. You've got to just bite the bullet now, show a bit of, show a bit of grit and stay at home and get people to understand if you stay out of the way of people and you don't, you know, catch the the virus and, you know, don't give it to anyone else, then at least you can kill the curve. And, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's probably a lot to do with rugby. A lot of times now where you've got to, you know, fast bait, you've got to show, you know, a bit of determination and maybe not pleasant all the time, but I think the end, end result is exactly what everyone wants. And by showing it, it just shows the unification, which I think South Africans are, are generally known for around the world, is that when we put our minds to something, yeah, there's no reason why we can't do it. Were you travelling at all just before the old lockdown happened and the travel bans from around the world happened, or were you just firmly back home when all this drama started unfolding? Yeah, I must be honest. I've been really, I've been really lucky, Rob. What actually happened was I was in Japan. I coached in Japan for two years, and my contract actually ended in uh, January. And so I, I basically was allowed to come home earlier based on the fact there was no rugby there. Rugby started a bit later. So I've basically been back in South Africa for a couple of months now. So I mean, fortunate enough, I wasn't stranded on the other side of the world. I wasn't exposed to any of that, you know, um, viral viral infections or possibilities of viral infections because I'd already come back to South Africa. And um, you know, and then basically the lockdowns come down. I'm fortunate enough. I live in Omanus. I live close to the sea, and you know, I've got a really nice place here. So probably a bit more spoiled than most in that. You know, being in lockdown means I'm just basically staying next to the ocean. Yeah. And and I suppose you, you can, more than most, be able to just uh, step outside and breathe uh, some fresh air, which everybody's lungs kind of need with the respiratory disease like this uh, that is uh, circulating around the world. How much do you reflect on a, a, a kind of success? And I'll tell you which success first, though, before, uh, you know, we, we kind of get talking on really rugby-related issues. Um, just to remind South Africans, because we were all in tenterhooks, we all that loved this moment back in uh, 2007. And let's capture exactly from a commentary perspective what went down that day to get back to make the clearance. Good take there by Longo. Try scorer against Scotland. Smith makes the tackle. Help from his co-flanker who worked it back to Skullberger. Peterson at scrum half. Stain at fly half. Good take. Now it's with uh, Dupria. James. Habana. Now the chase is on here. Can the ball bounce rightly for him? Brian Habana! Try the best ever in the competition. Brilliant, brilliant stuff by Brian Habanard. Excellent play from South Africa in general. Dupree. Peterson will give chase, but uh, single-handedly. And so Coletto is able to, able to burst away. Another telling tackle by Dupree. And Hernandez has left it behind. Chance for the counter here. Stain, Faree, Milan here. Berger, beautiful play. Danny Rousseau, try number three for the Springboks. Excellent play, Danny Rousseau. Brilliant play, Scott Berger. Outstanding South Africa. Scratch, touch, pause, engage. Pishot, Hernandez. Oh, it's all over. It's all over. Off you go, Abella. Off you go. And that equals Jono Longer's record in a competition of eight tries. And I'm sure all of you at home are out of whatever chair you're in. Hmm. 
Oh, I think memories. What was going through your mind then, visualizing all of those scenes, though, Jake, uh, back in 2007, lifting that Webb Ellis Trophy? Yeah, I must say, I just remember every single commentary there and exactly what was happening. I remember Brian Abadne intercepting in Argentina. I remember Donnie Rousseau scoring. In fact, in that game, all the, not all, the, you know, all the trials were scored by Blue Bulls players. And uh, you know, that was the semi-final. And, and obviously, from then on, we went on and played England and beat them in the final. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have wonderful memories of that. Wonderful, you know, wonderful time in, in anyone's career. And let's not forget, I was a really young guy. I mean, I was coaching the Springboks at 40 years old, Rob. So, you know, Jeez. I finished that, that journey of, of coaching the boxes at, uh, before, before my 44th birthday. So... I was very fortunate, very fortunate that I could have, you know, been part of such a wonderful experience, such a wonderful team at such a young age. But I think uh, young but gritty, young, had a focus. It's almost similar to what we've seen with Heineke Meyer, who comes in with the plan and enforces the plan. Jake White had a plan. He enforced the plan. The players knew what the plan was, and it was to lift the trophy. So when you look back at the, the age factor versus the reality, w- would you ever say you would have tried to do anything differently? Oh, look, I look back, and I mean, hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. I mean, there are things that I would have changed. I'm sure, they, you know, looking back now would have made it easier for myself. But at the time, you know, when you're young and, you, and you're in that position, all you want to do is make sure you do your best and, and, you know, make sure that you do whatever you can to get results. You know, I, I, as you mentioned earlier in the beginning, I was very fortunate. I coached the juniors. That same junior side won the Junior World Cup. Mm-hmm. Of that group, a lot of those players were part of the senior side that won the Senior World Cup. And, and for me, it was almost... Uh, a given that if I kept that group together because they were the best in the age group through the juniors, it was a, you know, for me as simple as if I get them and I get them, you know, fit and I get them to gel together and I keep them together injury free, there would be no reason why four years later they wouldn't be able to dominate the same age group, which was, you know, the average age of a World Cup final and World Cup winners about 26. So I realized that I probably was on the cusp of, of you know, getting a group of players together who would dominate at under 21 rugby almost to be at the peak age of their, of their careers at 26 years old. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I was really fortunate. I, I, I coached the box for four years, but in effect, I actually coached the same group of players probably for about seven, eight years. And how important is that consistency? Because sometimes people shy away from that factor, Jake, and they, and, and they always think maybe you can do it at the last minute. Maybe you can put a team together in the last two years ahead of a, a World Cup. But for you, I think the whole consistency over a period of at least a minimum of those four to three years to get the combination play, to, you know, just to get the whole team aligned to each other, how important was that for you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you look at Kids Christie, you coached the box for two years and then won the World Cup, and Rossi the same, probably two years and won the World mm-hmm. Cup. What people don't think or don't understand is that Kids probably, you know, had coached Harlequins and he coached Transvaal, and a lot of those players had played for Harlequins and Transvaal along their way, whether it was Rudy Schmidt or Johan Roo or, you know, Rudolf Strali or the Transvaal players that he took it with a core group of his 95 World Cup, and then you look at Rassi, who coached for two years here, but he was director of rugby for a long time and coached at province and three states. And a lot of those players he would have known as their juniors, their junior formative years as well. So, you know, there's no doubt that the longer you are with a group, the easier it is. I mean, it has been done, and, and people would say, yes, but in two years, as I said, Rassi and Kitsch got it right. But let's not forget the amount of time and the amount of knowledge they had in the age group levels and in the, and the other players that they knew along the way. 
the ability to meet the president, shake his hand, get him to be part of the celebrations. And, and, and you were, I mean, it, it was always a case of a fine line, Jake. I mean, politically, there was these demands uh, from a, a space of rugby. There were other demands, but you were there as a, a, a rugby coach. How much did that even play a part in what was going through your psyche? You know, it's interesting because, you know, there were times that, uh, you know, I, I'd always bought into to the way that we had to be transformative, the way that we had to, well, transform the way that we had to look at developing, you know, non-white players at that stage. I mean, people castigated me in the beginning when I think Brian Abana from nowhere. I mean, people didn't even know he was, and we all know exactly what he did in the rugby field from then, 100 tests, over 100 test matches, world records, and most trials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was very cognizant of the fact that that was very important. And what I struggled with is that when people started to get uh, involved in not not this guy, that guy, and not this guy, that guy, I started to obviously take offense to that because the the, the framework for me was I, I was really working hard on creating relationships with players, creating relationships with, with players that were in my team for them to understand how they fit in. And, and as you would know, Robert, it's very difficult to have a relationship with a player when someone else is trying to interfere in, in getting involved. But, but, you know, I've always said that if we hadn't had those uh, um, protocols in place, we wouldn't have big guys like Brian Abana. I can't see that 30, 40 years ago people would have gone into a township and found a winger like Brian Abana in the apartheid mm-hmm. day. So that, that has boded well for us as a nation. I mean, we, we've, we've created some wonderful players and we, we're going to create some more and more and more as, as we go along. But it was never for me a, a question of not, not buying in. It was a question of just where the lines were drawn in terms of who, who says what and how it works. If you're going to give the coach an opportunity to work with a group of players and build relationships with players, it's very difficult for people outside to then start saying, you know, they feel someone else is better than the person you've actually started to work with over a long period of time. I mean, who would you say, I, I know you've just mentioned now the whole issue of somebody trying to directly tell you who and what and, and basically tell you how to do your work. Around which player was there more, more pressure put on you to play that you thought maybe, you know what, he's a great player, but he does, doesn't deserve to be in the starting 15, for example? No, well, it's, you know, for me, to be fair, one, one, probably the one uh, incident I remember very, very well is that when I had, had Skull Berger involved in the team, he was voted as the best player in the world as a 21-year-old. I mean, he literally mm-hmm. picked as the best player in world rugby in the RB dinner. Uh, that's a phenomenal record for a 21-year-old and also for a forward who's 21 years old. I remember a lot of players were then competing for his position. And, and yes, they were playing relatively well, whether it was Kabamba Flores or whether it was Luke Watson or whether it was um, Sonny Tabalika. You know, there were times where people said, well, you must try and give them a chance. And I said, well, I'm not going to adopt the best player in the world, guys. I mean, for me, it, was, it didn't make sense. Why would I leave the best player in the world out to create an opportunity for... And for me, you know, looking back, when Nasbutter played, he was the number 10. It didn't matter what other players did in the Curry Cup or what other players did. I mean, he was the number 10, and that was it. You know, that's... Uh, mm. When Short Fitzpatrick played 90-odd times for the All Blacks and someone else sat on the bench, that was just the way it is. And if you happen to be born in an era where you play in the same position as someone who's the best player in the world, well, then you're probably going to lose out. So that would be an example for me, Rob, of saying mm. what I felt that there were, I suppose... There were, there were agendas around, you know, and I and I wasn't prepared to 
leave out the best player. It didn't matter what it, what it meant. I was prepared to back the best player in that situation. And, and and I guess what I'll do is, Jake, I'll park that because at some point I really want to chat about your book uh, when we have that sit-down conversation uh, because I think it's a book that a lot of people need to read or to read and just uh, have it in the back of their minds. This journey when it comes to rugby uh, plays such an important role for everybody, whether people have only just started supporting rugby now or have been for many, many years. I just think it is important. You're a, a well-respected coach, a World Cup winning coach and i also need to congratulate you your appointment as the director of rugby at the bulls um i mean i don't know <laughs> does this thing change a little bit though jake your your general duties though uh in terms of coaching versus you now being the director of rugby just give us a breakdown of what the expectations are well, as it is now, I mean, obviously there's a head coach in place with Puerto Iman there and a couple of coaches that are his assistants. I mean, as as this job uh, in, uh, evolves, there will be obviously tweaks and changes to those roles. I mean, the reality is, I'm, I'm, although I'm director of rugby, I would like to be hands-on. I'd like to be on the field. I'd like to, you know, like to be still coaching. I, I think that in some clubs, directors of rugby are little bit like uh, recruitment officers and maybe you know guys that take the pressure off head coaches whereas I would like to see my role going forward as more hands-on role so you know the way it is now is that as I said Puerto is the head coach and that Mm -hmm. that is the way it will stay but obviously going forward I'd like to be more hands-on which means that the makeup of that group and the roles and responsibilities of that group will obviously change as well. And this is something that the management are aware of. It's something that a Porto human is aware of because, I mean, bear in mind, uh, so many times, Jake, you find when you come into a position like that and there's a, a coach already established there, then they start to feel a little bit of pressure around them to say, oh, I mean, is this a long-term plan uh, to either ask me, is this a long-term plan to lose the job? I mean, you know, that is pretty much human. Do you think that 100%. the idea has been sprayed around to know that, okay, this is Jake White. Jake White's going to be the director of coaching, but he's a hands-on guy. Yeah, look, I, I think I'd like to believe that, that there, there will be some human element to it as well. I mean, it is, to be fair, though, Rob, we're in a very, very difficult situation now where we can't even go to the office and have a, you know, a chat sure. for the coaches and, and players, etc. So, there's massive amount of uncertainty anyway, and a lot of angst going on in South Africa anyway. Without, without you know, without them feeling that they've been ousted, or like you say, that there's been an agenda behind the scenes. So, you know, I've got no doubt. I've, I've you know, from all accounts, I've heard from many, many people. I don't know Puerto well, but I do know that, and, and well enough to know that he's a wonderful guy, that he's heart's in the right place, and he really, you know, improves his job. And the last thing I'd like to do is come in there and, and make anyone feel uncomfortable. But as it's at the same time, if I'm going to be hands-on and I'd like to be on the field wearing a tracksuit, then, then the roles of, of everyone does change. And, and we all know that when that does change, that does obviously have an impact on how you put things together. And, and you know, there's, there's no nice way, but the reality is there must be a, at least a pleasant way of actually communicating that message to anyone who's involved in the organization. Because I mean, I look around at the terraces on, on, on the field when one is at Loftus and you kind of see the, the diminishing fan base that is there. And it's worrying because I think everybody knows the impact that the Bulls have had historically in this country. Um, 
even if you just backtrack one step, Jay, can you say they've had some very good, what, under-19, very good under-21 teams, what, in the last decade? But they've struggled yes. now. I mean, you look at how they're struggling to replicate that kind of glory and the glory days when, uh, for example, a guy like Heineke uh, was in charge of that team. And I don't know if you've been able to put your finger on what could have gone wrong at the union for them to be struggling as much as they are, especially within uh, the juniors now. You know, it's it's interesting now that I've obviously hands-on and I'm now in the cold face and I'm now chatting to the people that are involved in the organization. They admit that maybe they took their eye off the ball. Maybe they, mm. they felt it would happen automatically. You know, they dominated for such a long period of time that they thought that maybe it would just, you know, continue post anyone leaving, that they thought they had a strong hold on, on, on the rest of the competition. You know, for years they... They had the best juniors, and they and they probably had three or four juniors in each position that were probably better than most other teams. And I think that as the playing fields have leveled out, and as they have maybe taken their eye off the ball and 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 thought that it would happen automatically, they probably you know as I said, let other teams catch up to them. And I and you know you look, they probably got a little bit of it back over the period of Jonas Neyman and Lerdy Yager and Andrew Pollard and. And those sort of players, but when they've all left now to go overseas again, they've almost been caught almost the same way that they got caught with that wonderful team that departed with Vic Van Buckis and Gary Buerta and Gatro Steenkamp and, you know, all those Springboks that played in that team, Bree Dufria, and, you know, that team was, you know, probably you know, half the team played for South Africa. So, you know, I think that they, they probably admitted that one thing they've got to look at is trying to keep the juniors. It's more and more tough now, Rob, to be fair, that you know, players do go overseas. There's lots more money and there's opportunity overseas. So it is a little bit tougher for all the unions, not just the Bulls, to keep their best players in South Africa based on the fact that the economy and obviously the rand is so weak compared to the other salaries they get abroad. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about being abroad, you get a guy like Pollard. What would make him turn around and say, hey, this is where he wants to be? Strange. Well, I mean, that would be, that's the million-dollar question. He's, you know, he's, he's obviously on a lot of money. You know, what would it take for him to want to come back and play at the Bulls? And I think yeah. you know, I'm very fortunate in that we have two very good financial backers in the club. You know, we're very, very financially strong. We've got, like, Johan Rupert and Patrice Motsepi involved in your board I mean, and, and, and the funding for the company. It's actually a very, you know, very, very pleasing and obviously satisfying and, I suppose, comforting thing for players and, and staff to know that, that's the sort of people they have behind you. So, who knows? Maybe now this is—it hasn't been for a long time. But maybe the fact that they've now, you know, come involved and people reading in the media about their involvement, maybe players who have have always doubted about, you know, staying in South Africa might have second thoughts and want to come back. And I'm hoping that's the, that's going to be the case. But how does the style of play, though? Because everybody kind of talks about what kind of style of play uh, would a would a Jake White inculcate in a team like the Bulls right now? Maybe it's a 2020 version of what running rugby ought to be like, given the kind of players that are there. Well, how would you answer that if the style of play issue comes in? You know, it's, it's an interesting debate because the game's changing all the time. And I mean, you've, yeah. got to be, you've got to be up with the trends of the game anyway. You've got to understand that if you want to win, you look at things like ball in play, how much time the ball's in play. You can look at athletic performances of your players. You've got to look at how many teams, you know, the teams that are doing the best in competitions, what, what they're actually doing, how many kicks they do, too many passes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's always a debate for any coach because one always asks, do you play with the team you have or do you pick the team to play the way you want to play? And that's always an interesting debate for coaches. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you take over a team mid-season, it's difficult because you can't really get every player you want and you can't then play the exact style you want to. You're probably going to have to adapt with the players you have to your disposal. But over time, I think what most coaches do, that's why they try and stay, you know, they stay for a longer period of time, sort of two, three years, is that over time they can get their own their own uh, personality in the team and their own personality to be exposed and, and ex- expressed in the, in the games that they play. You know, my, mine is very simple. I'd like to win. I'd like to find a way to win. And I'd like the players to, you know, use the skills they have in order to to win. Um, it's not always, it's not always, not to, to design, but sometimes through choice. It's not always pretty, but I think that, I mean, I've yet to meet a player that's won a game that says it's not more fun than, and playing well and using one. No, without a doubt. Uh, in conversation with uh, Jake White, um, he has given us a bit of his time, uh, and obviously just to salute him for the appointment as Director of Rugby at the Bulls. I do believe that lots of your voice notes have come through. Well, Jake, as you know, that with the lockdown, I'm nowhere near studio. I'm broadcasting from somewhere, somehow, someplace, uh, but it all works. You connected, I'm connected. We had a bit of a problem with Tando Manana, uh, but I do believe that after we hear f- a few of the voice notes, he'll join the conversation. Let's chat further. Jake White on the line. Let's hear from your voice notes. Good evening to you, Marawa and uh, uh, Coach Jack White. Uh, my question to him is why uh, is he taking the Blue Bulls job? What attracted him? to the post, and I wish him all the best from Max in Pretoria. Hi, Rob. Hi, Thanks, Rob. Max. Hi, Rob. Can you ask Jake there, if they call him again to the Springbok, can he go back again, Rob? Can you ask him that, please, Rob? Is Jimmy in Macau, Rob. Thank you so much. Okay. Hello there. Hello there. Namapubez, Mr. Robert Marawa. It's Isaac here in Soshanguve. Uh, hello. Good afternoon. Uh, good evening, uh, Coach. I just need to ask you one question. According to you, who are the top five players South African rugby has ever had? Thank you, coach. Thank you. Keeping it locked down. Uh, good, ne- good evening, Rob. Uh, as always, you, you have uh, another hero, a hero for the nation, uh, Mr. Jake White. Thank you for bringing us the, the World Cup. Uh, my, my question is one, um, you as Mr. J. White, do you believe in transformation? And if the answer is yes, what are you doing personally uh, to promote uh, transformation uh, in this country uh, in respect to rugby? Thank you. Price from Rodipot. All right, thank you so much, guys, for keeping those questions nice, short, sharp, and sweet. We'll take the break and i think after the break we'll give jake an opportunity to respond to some of the questions i've made a note of a few of them uh, the others i think jake has already addressed especially around the bulls but the rest will check out after this all right so uh, welcome back uh, we do have a little bit more time here with uh, jake white uh, i do believe we're going to be chatting as well to graham smith straight after uh, we've spoken to jake so it's important we keep everybody up to speed up to date with what's happening on the sporting front might not be cricket or rugby or football or any other sport that's being played uh, but it doesn't stop us from chatting to the individuals that do matter around sports so jake thanks for your patience the one question that was asked is uh, would you ever go back to the springboks 
Um, look, I mean, obviously, I've always had visions of getting back involved in, in, in international rugby, Rob. I mean, you, you would understand if you've played at that level or if you've touched yeah. that level, it's always the level you try and miss yourself at. But, but I also understand that, you know, opportunities don't come about. I'm probably at the age now where I've probably missed the boat. And part of my, my discussion with the Bulls is that I would like to commit myself to the Bulls now and create something special at the Bulls. So, yeah, I mean, as much as it's fantastic to hear supporters say, please go back to the Bulls, I, I mean, to the, to the Springboks, I think the Springboks are in a wonderful place anyway. I think the Springboks is world champions now, and with the structures they have in place and the players they can pick, I mean, I think that we're in a strong place anyway. So, yeah, I mean, as, as, as I said, nice to hear that guy saying, please come back, it's always nice for your ego, but, you know, I think I've probably had my chance. Top five players South Africa has ever had. Oh, look, I mean, one player who comes to mind firstly is Donny Haber. For me, Donny Haber is probably the best rugby player we've ever had. I mean, it's the best player I've ever seen. I mean, obviously, before my time, there were guys like H.O. de Villiers. Um, that was also a fantastic rugby player. In, in terms of the players that I was lucky enough to be part of and coach, I think the three players, those two, and then the three players are Skulk Berger, probably Mark Andrews, and... Uh, yeah, probably Farid Dupree. You know, and then let's not take away from the guys like Nas Puerta that were you know phenomenal in his day as well. But you know, I've, I was lucky enough to coach Mark Andrews, you know, Scott Berger, and 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 uh, Runt For me, were probably the three that were the best players that I've coached. All right, I think we touched on transformation. You gave us your view on that. We'll touch further on it, as I said, Jake, when we do chat about your book and we have you for the full uh, duration of the show. The the one thing, though, um, yeah, that's a question that came through with transformation. Any regrets along the way? Uh, Rob, let me, let me just say, let me just say that that's yeah. very important that people, I mean, I'm genuine about transformation, as I said to you, picking a guy like yeah. Barna Banner, you know, he would never have been picked years ago. So... You know, I, I look back in 2005, we played nine players of colour against Australia and we won. Uh, that we, without the Sharks, we played six players, I mean, ethnic black players in the Sharks team that got to the semi-finals of, of Super Rugby. So you know, I, I really believe one has to be genuine about it. I think that if I look at, at, at sport in general, I think that the competition is a wonderful thing. Competition for me in any person's life is a wonderful thing. And I think what I'd like to always do is, is, is pick a player on the basis that he can add value and that he's good enough. And and one thing I've learned, whether the player's white or whether he's black or whether he's, you know, colored, it's irrelevant. What he wants to know is that he's good enough to play in that team. And often what happens is when you create competition between two players or three players in one position, it creates competition within that position and you get the best player coming forward. I think what often happened in the past is when there was a number to transformation, it probably made it easier for players because they looked around the change room and went, there's only three of us and we need to pick three of, of three players of colour, then I'm guaranteed of playing. Whereas if in your change room now you have 10 players and it makes no difference how many you put on the field and players all of a sudden feel they've got to really play hard to get, in, get into the starting lineup, which is, you know, it doesn't matter who you're talking about. All sportsmen want to be picked and want to be the best and want to be on the field because they're good enough. So that kind of poses an immediate challenge to you, though, as a director. When you look at, uh, I think the last time I had a look at the the, the all-white Bulls Super Rugby coaching team. And that kind of yeah. raised a bit of an eye from me. I don't know if it has for you. Uh, it definitely has. definitely has. And I can tell you behind the scenes, we are, you know, I'm, I'm busy negotiating with lots and lots of coaches that I think that are important to come into our setup. And uh, you're 100% right, Rob. I mean, that's not, that's not the way it should be done. And, and, and mm. I, I've been it to the board. We're fully aware of the fact that 
you know, part of the legacy that, that I would like to build is, is, a, is a player pathway, but also a coaching pathway that pulls for coaches who, who want to come through the ranks, no matter who they are, to be good enough to actually coach them, the senior team. So that, that, that's definitely on your, on your short list of things to be done because it has kind of stood that's out a, like a sore thumb. I mean, I, I, no, see no, that. I, I look at what's happening at the Sharks, Jake, and I'm thinking Sharks have got something great that is almost like a continuation of what's happened at the World Cup where you're looking at sure. South Africa, the entire microcosm of South Africa is there and there's no cut and dry here and there. It is what it is. The best players are playing. Sure, sure. No, well, that's exactly that's what everyone aspires to, Rob. So, I mean, I, I give you, you know, I give you my word on that. that sure. Behind the scenes, and and obviously, it's very difficult now because people are in positions, and you've got to move some deck chairs around. But I can tell you that uh, the landscape of what you've seen is will change significantly in the next couple of in the next couple of well, as soon as we get back into into going. You know. Not a problem, Jake. Really loved our chat. Thank you so, so much for granting us a little bit of time to chat to you and also to congratulate you on the appointment. As you know, lots that I can chat to you about, but we are going to set down a time, and I'm sure uh, it will be quite possible to find a studio set up Interact like we have with the entire uh, South Africa across Metro VM and Radio 2000 and uh, be able to knuckle down, t- talk about the book, talk about your life, talk about the achievements and what lies ahead. Ah, that's fantastic, Rob. Again, let me just say that I'm I'm more than willing to chat to you, and it's wonderful that at least we can share these uh, these uh, ideas. And you know, as I said, I value I value your your opinion as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. Mutual respect, Jack. Thank you. Thank you.